Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... who have godly wisdom are extremely burdened by this world. It burdens them that our friends and our family members and our co-workers and our neighbors don't care a lick about Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, their attitude that it will all work out in the end is grievous to the wise man and woman that that has become acceptable American thinking. How does anybody know apart from Jesus Christ, how it will turn out in the end. Do we seek wisdom? In today's message, Pastor Jim will teach us that when Christians gain wisdom in the Lord, they are burdened by the sin of this world. All people are sinful and need a Savior, but not all people recognize this need. The wisdom of the world doesn't acknowledge the need to know God. Saying that it will all work out in the end is foolish. Wisdom and knowledge can't change the world. Jesus is our only hope in this world that so often feels meaningless. With this in mind, here's Pastor Jim with part two of his message entitled, Will I Need My Sunglasses Today? Time is an earth thing. God lives out of time. That's why we think he's terribly slow, and he's like, no, I'm right on time. I understand it, okay? You say, well, why, why is God so slow in the way he deals with humanity? Well, verse nine helps us as we see the real heart and patience of God. He says, the Lord is not slack, and it doesn't mean like he's not saying the Lord's not a slacker, but although sometimes I think we might think he is, the idea is slow. God is not slow concerning his promise, although it may seem that way, as some count slackness or slowness, but here's why it seems like God moves so slow. But his long-suffering toward us, the idea is God is patient toward us, not willing, so this is not his will, not willing that any, that would be anybody, that would be you, that would be me, that any should perish. What does it mean to perish in the Bible? That's hell. That's an eternal existence apart from Christ, but that all, that would be how many people? All, I, I know there's a lot of people, you know, running around. I like to call them the frozen chosen. They're just running around saying, well, you know, it's, um, you know, God, God just, you know, has his people and that's who he wants. And I, I, to a point, I understand that, but I don't know who they are. I don't know who they are. So I'm going to tell as many people as I can about Jesus. Why? Because, because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, all should turn to him. So friend, let me ask you have, you, have you turned to him? Are you in God's will? Have you turned to him? Have you, have you turned to him and said, I acknowledge God that, that I do need a savior, that I do need someone to pay the price for my sins. Now, we receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life because of the work of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the work of Jesus Christ, we talk of the totality of Jesus. God becoming a man, 
living a sinless life in our place, dying a sinner's death on the cross in our place, rising from the dead, ascending to heaven. That's all the, and seated at the right hand of God who promises to return as a judge. He came the first time as a savior, the second time as a judge. We, that is the work of Jesus. No one gets to heaven apart from the work of Jesus. But our receiving of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, there's an if there. If you come, if you turn to him, if you or I somehow call on the name of the Lord. Now, that's not a work. That's just what God says. If you come, the work is done. And if you want to receive that work, it's done. You just have to receive it. You have to come to him. I know a lot of people write a lot of books. I don't think they make a lot of money because only geeks like me read them, but I make a lot of money, right? How do people come, right? To, to those of you who are Christians already, you don't have to concern yourself with that. You just have to tell and tell people the message of Jesus and invite them to come. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here. What do you need to do? You need to come, not to religion, not to Calvary Chapel, not to Pastor Jim. You need to come to Jesus. Now, I could pretty much imagine that if you do come, you'll want to know more. And so you'll start coming here probably more often to, to know more, but we are all called to come. Verse 14, he says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. He says, I, I've seen everything that's going on everywhere and all types of stuff going on. And indeed, or some, I like the, some of the translations say, behold, take a look. All is vanity. Everything that's happening here on the plane of this is earth only, on the plane of there's no heaven, there's no God, there's no afterlife, there's no unseen world, he is saying it's all vanity, it's all meaningless, it's all futile, it's just a breath. It's grasping for the wind. Some versions say striving after the wind. Others say chasing the wind. It actually literally means herding the wind, like, like you would herd cattle, right? So you look at cattle and you go, okay, he wants to herd them right? That's possible, right? But he says this world is so impossible. It's like actually like herding the wind. Those of you who have bird feeders, any of you have bird feeders? Okay, got bird feeders. Squirrels ever come and do it? You buy the kind that says squirrels hate it, but they don't know how to read, so they love it, right? Okay. <laughs> so you walk out your backyard and you're like, I want to get all, I want to herd the squirrels out the gate, right? It can't happen. It can't happen, can it? Any of you ever coach like first and second grade sports teams? I mean, forget it. I, I've coached my kids when they were little and, and it goes something like this. You know, they're, they're in first grade and playing basketball. And you're like, okay, here's the deal, man. Uh, uh, this is their basket and that's our basket. We only shoot in our basket, okay? It's always a complication at halftime when they switch the basket, right? <laughs> and, and, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, there, there's a, one of your kids gets a defensive rebound and your basket's way over there and they plop it in, their, in the other team's basket. They're jumping around. I made it, I made it, I made it. I'm like, I know. <laughs> Why did they count it for the other team? Well, that's a long story, okay? Uh, or, or you tell them, okay, two of you bring up the ball and the other three of you go to the other end. So the two bring up the ball, you dribble it up and you pass it to the other three. Got it? Got it, coach, got it, coach, got it, coach. Sure enough, they go out on the court, all five of them are down at the end and they throw it to the other team, right? <laughs> because they're all five bringing the ball. All right, time out. Remember what we said, okay? 
Two of us down here, that's you two, okay? Three of you down there, okay? You're hurting, you're hurting the wind, right? You're like, okay, that's fine. And then all of a sudden, the, the, you know, whistle blows, coach, one of your kids has got to bring up the ball because they're all down this way, right? You can't do it. It's impossible. You just got to laugh. You know, I'm, I was coaching middle school basketball one time and this guy is dropping F-bombs yelling at me and, uh, in the town league. And I was like, dude, what is your problem? And he goes, you're ruining their future by balancing who plays and who doesn't play because I was trying to give everybody equal time. He goes, you're ruining their, their, their scholarships they're going to get. I was like, are you watching a different game than me? <laughs> they're terrible. <laughs> he's like, and he's like, that's what life is like. You're trying to herd the wind. You're trying to get something to go the right way and it's just impossible. It's not going to happen. And then verse 15, he gives us this proverb. He says, what is crooked, uh, some versions say twisted, cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered or cannot be counted. Could be a puzzle that's impossible to uh, fit together. So remember, Solomon has his skeptic glasses on, and he says, I've seen it all, and ultimately, life is just one big waste of time. And I know a problem, a big problem for most of us, I know it's a big problem for me, is our fundamental refusal to accept the things in life that we can't fix. A, a fundamental refusal to accept things the way that they are. And so here, Solomon or the Bible writer, God telling us from an earthly perspective, life is broken. People are broken and we are powerless to fix it. No matter how hard we try, there's just some things we can't fix. Now, uh, some of us remember the days before roadside assistance. Remember, the, any of you remember those days? And, and so, uh, you know, somebody would lock their keys in the car and we'd, we'd go get our, you know, most kleptomaniac friend and say, he can fix it. And he would go, just give me a hanger. You know, like, I love those guys. Like, what do you practice this stuff, man? <laughs> right? And so they go, give me a hanger. So somebody would run out with a hanger, right? And they would take it and they would untwist it, straighten it out and hook it down and click it up. And they're like, I can make a living doing this, right? And so it's probably how roadside assistance became so much more popular. Well, then you have that hanger, right? And you, and you give it back to the person who gave it to you. And they're like, great. Do you ever watch them try to put it back together? Try to make that a triangle again? Or that little stupid windy thing that's in the hanger? <laughs> no way, no how. That is not happening, right? That's what Solomon is saying life is like. We're that broken. We're that broken, Right? We might come out halfway decent, but by the time we get to a certain age, we are like that hanger, and nobody can put us back together again. It's just too late. So here, the wisest man in the world is telling us, you can have all of the wisdom in the world, but you can't change reality. You can't. So he would tell us, listen, you can go to the beach, the shore, excuse me, you can have a good time, but let me give you one bit of advice. Bring your umbrella. Because no matter how smart you are, no matter how wise you are, no matter how successful you are, no matter how prepared you are, sunglasses don't change the weather. They don't. Number two, sunglasses make the world darker. Sunglasses make the world darker. Verse 16, he said, I communed with my heart. That's an overly spiritual way of saying I thought about it, right? 
I communed with my heart saying, now he's not bragging. This is a fact, what he's about to say. Pretty impressive in light of who his father was, King David. He says, look, I have attained greatness. He's saying, I've attained money, accomplishment, prestige, kingdom building, and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. Verse 17, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. You're like, what in the world is that? Wisdom, maybe morality, the things of God, maybe even. What is, what is wisdom and folly? We'll talk about that next week, the things that are contrary to the word of God. So we might say this week, he's engaged in intellectualism. Next time, we're going to see he's engaged in hedonism. So he says, I'm, I'm trying the brainy route now, but I'm only going to tell you what's coming because next I went the pleasure route, trying to see if I could get everything I wanted and how that worked for me. He says, I perceive this is also grasping for the wind. He's going to tell you, I, I, got, I was a guy who had the opportunity to have it all, ended up empty. Verse 18, he gets another downer proverb, for in much wisdom is much grief. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So he's saying, listen, I observe reality. I put my wisdom glasses on. I observe reality. And I'm trying to work it out in my soul. I'm trying to think it through what in the world is going on. So he's telling us that he is beginning to explore the world of right and wrong. And he ends up saying this, that the more I explored it, the more I thought about it, okay, the worse I realized the world was the darker I realized the world was. Now that can easily happen to any of us as we go into the area of trying to uh, understand life. And you end up sometimes with more grief when you see the world the way it really is. And some of your versions or the older versions use the word that he was uh, vexed or he experienced vexation. Just, Just profound grief at what the world was. See, we might think that wisdom will help us escape the pain of life, but sometimes and often, wisdom will actually, as you look at the world, will actually wear more on your soul. It can produce in any of us a profound hopelessness. And what will you do when you're hopeless? Do you know? Anything. Anything. A wise man or woman is not an escapist. They're a They're a realist and the world burdens them and the church can burden them when they, when they know there are friends that they have that say that they're committed followers of Jesus Christ, but, but they live like they're committed followers of themselves. When people who are said to be new creations in Christ, as the Bible says, don't live like new creations. They live like who they used to be. When people, Jesus said, if you have the son, you are free indeed. But some people still calling on the name of Jesus, living in total captivity, prisoners of so many different things. Others caring little for others. Others caring little for the ways of the Lord. Others not wanting to be the living sacrifices that God has called us to be. People who have godly wisdom are extremely burdened by this world. It burdens them that our friends and our family members and our co-workers and our neighbors don't care a lick about Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, their attitude that it will all work out in the end is grievous to the wise man and woman that that has become acceptable American 
thinking. How does anybody know, apart from Jesus Christ, how it will turn out in the end? And as negative as Solomon is up to this point, at least he faces reality. He's not some plastic guy who says, well, you know, everything's fine, everything's okay. And the world sees it. If you doubt me that the unbelieving world sees it, listen more carefully to the lyrics of the songs. How many people are so very empty? How many people are just searching for for meaning and purpose and why they exist? It's an old song, but perhaps it's one that, that paved the way for such honesty. Lennon and McCartney said this, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Jesus said this, if, hey, if one of you had a hundred sheep and one of them ran away, wouldn't you chase the one? Wouldn't you leave the 99 and go after the one? But you know what's happening to the church in America, guys, is that most American Christians now want to be the one. They don't want to be part of the faithful 99. They want to be part of the one and they want everybody doing everything for them. Everybody chasing after them. Everybody making it all about them and expecting other people on their own to chase 99 and not wanting to be part of it. That explains the ministry burnout rate. I mean, when pastors, the average tenure of a pastor is is a year and a half to three years. Terrible, terrible. It is the overburdened work of trying to chase so many people when so many others are either just cheering them on or criticizing them. The church will go nowhere, nowhere if this is our attitude. Our area will not be affected by our being here if this is our attitude. Listen to the good news translation of verse 18. It's not very good news. The wiser you are, the more worries you have, the more you know, the more it hurts. Why? Because you're beginning to see through a different set of glasses. You're beginning to see just how lost and broken and damaged this world is. And friends, let me tell you something. If you want to have an audience with people of all types of brokenness, dysfunctional brokenness, workaholism, drugs, different sexual practices and stuff like that. If you want to have an audience with certain people, you better know how broken you are. Because if you don't know how broken you are, you come off sounding like a guy who has it all together. And then your story of how Jesus found you, not that you found him, your story that Jesus found you carries no credibility, none. Because it seems like he found you because you were so good, not because you were so broken and he's so kind and he's so loving. So number one, sunglasses don't change the weather. Those of you who want to write in the margin of your Bible, which I thoroughly encourage, you won't be able to figure out what in the world that means a year from today. Write this, wisdom and knowledge can't change the world. Wisdom and knowledge can't change the world. I'm all for education, but you know, our politicians keep telling us that education will change everything. Have you noticed it's not working? Because deep inside the heart of men and women is a darkness. It's a darkness. So number two, sunglasses make the world darker. 
You might want to write in the margin of your Bible, wisdom and knowledge actually grieve the heart of the wise. Well, number three, sunglasses help us to really see. Now, here's what you have to do with your notes. You've got to take the S-U-N and change it to S-O-N here. These are different kinds of sunglasses. These are not the sunglasses that you wear at the beach. These are the gospel glasses that we need to put on if we're able to see this world for what it really is and not be totally in despair the way that Solomon is. Chapter two, moving to the next chapter, verse 24. Uh, We're gonna see where Solomon is bringing us, or the Lord more accurately, is bringing us in this section. Uh, Bible students, this is a technique called chasing. Interesting that Solomon uses the word chasing after the wind. What he's saying is chasing, the, the, the Bible teaching of technique of chasing is, is, goes like this. Not this, not this, not this, but this. So he's giving us all the knots, but this. So I'm, I'm, I'm skipping some of the knots. We'll go into them in the weeks that follow, but we're going into the section that says, but this. So he's saying it's not earthly wisdom, it's not earthly knowledge, but what? Verse 24, nothing is better for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. Everybody else is going around saying, oh, work is so miserable. Solomon's saying it's actually not. If Jesus is with you, if the Lord is with you, it's actually not. You can enjoy what you're doing. It won't seem hopeless to you. It won't seem like as much of a rat race to you because sometimes we fall back into rat race mentality, right? But if we're trying to enjoy the Lord in the process, verse 25, for who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? He's like, I've tested this. Verse 26, we're only gonna read the first part. The second part's a little confusing. And when we get to it in a few weeks, don't say a few months, I know what you're thinking. In a few weeks, okay, that we're, we'll talk about it more. He says, for God has given wisdom and knowledge You're like, oh, everybody can have wisdom and knowledge. And joy, joy is different than happiness. And joy to a man who is good in his sight. So King Solomon knew that God's intervention was needed. So for King Solomon, he says, I'm not going to the shore to to escape reality. I'm actually going to the shore to experience reality. I'm setting up myself, okay, On the beach, I got my beach chair, I put my sunglasses on, I sit down, I have my my cool drink. No, we don't want to go into what that is, but I got my cool drink, right? I got my food that I've worked hard for, right? And And I sit there and I look out over the water and I say, man, you are something else, God. I can't believe you made this beautiful world. How kind of you to allow me to come here and to sit and to enjoy what you have made. Almost like God made it just for you. And ultimately, when we look at the, at the universe, right, aren't we just a speck? You know what man's problem is, don't you? We think we're too spectacular, And so there we sit, there a little speck of sand on the beach, and God knows who we are. And we look at the people, and our heart begins to break because we see all the lonely people. Where do they come from? We know where they belong, 
They belong under the, under the shadow of God's wings. But for some reason, they don't go there. All across the United States, people are living for the weekend, right? People judge their lives. Tomorrow, in your work, people will judge their weekend or their lives by how their weekend went. At the end of the week, people are crying out, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. God wants us to cry out, thank God it's Jesus. That's it for today with pastor and Bible teacher Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. We hope and pray that Pastor Jim's simple and passionate verse-by-verse, line-by-line teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes is bringing growth to your Christian faith. Now that you have heard from us, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know how we can pray for you, answer any questions that you may have, and let us know how Changed by Love has helped you. Perhaps you want someone to explain to you how to have your sins forgiven, how you can go to heaven, and how you can get started or restarted in your faith. Maybe you're looking for a good Bible-teaching church in your area, or maybe you just need someone to talk to. Remember, friends, we are here to serve you and to help you so that someday the Lord will use you to serve and help others. That's the way the kingdom of God works, and we're thrilled to participate with you in the adventure. There are many ways to connect with Pastor Jim and the team here at Changed by Love. All of our contact information is available on our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. Once again, that's www.changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you would like to bless us and write us a card or a letter. Our mailing address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Please join us next time on this same station. Until then, stay close to Jesus, and we know that you too will be changed by His love.